0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
2: And I'm Julie Douglas.
1: Uh, Julie, have have you read or seen, I know I've asked you this before, but have you read or seen Dune?
2: I have seen parts of it in the past. Okay. But I think when I say parts of it, like it was on some sort of secondary cable channel and okay. it was Saturday and <clears throat> might've been during a time in my life where I was a little bit tired in the morning and I just sat there on the couch. So I cannot say that with fidelity, I watched it, you know, from the beginning to the end.
1: Okay. Well, well that's, that's fair. Okay. Um, that I, passes muster. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I remember watching the film, uh, in bits and pieces on cable TV when I was, uh, younger and then I read it and then I read it again, mm-hmm. but, um, There's this thing that that shows up in it uh, called the Orange Catholic Bible. Yes. uh, Dune, for anyone who's not uh, familiar, big, you know, space epic, um, space opera uh, um, story that takes place on far distant worlds long after Earth has has vanished. Uh, But there are still all these human civilizations out there on different planets. Mm -hmm. And they still have religion. and the, the book and the books kind of deal with the emergence of a new religion, but the one that they have taken with them is this thing they call the, um, the Orange Catholic Bible. Or okay. that's, that's their text anyway. Which I always kind of picture in my mind being like a really orange looking Bible. I was just thinking you know? of
2: Fanta, <laughs> you know, with a big cross on it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's supposedly a, a an, an accumulated book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like this is a, the quote from, uh, from Dune. Uh, the religious text produced by the Commission of Ecumenical Trans- Translators, it contains elements of the most ancient religions, including, and, uh, he names uh, a, a couple here that I think are, are made up, but also Christianity, Catholicism, uh, uh, Buddhism, Islam, and its supreme commandment is considered to be, quote, thou shalt not disfigure the soul. Um, so what I, what I really like about this is the idea that you know, this, this idea that, that in some far distant future, mm-hmm. we still have taken religion with us, mm-hmm. though it has altered its form, it just as religion and, and belief, human belief alters, uh, just, you know, from generation to generation. It uh, evolves, uh, it, might I say? Yeah, it evolves over time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's such a fascinating area of thought, not only because I like to, you know, we're kind of futurists, we so like to imagine what, what are humans going to be doing in the future, what are they going to be thinking, how are they going to be perceiving their world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does stir a lot of debate because um, or maybe just angst, because on, on one hand, there are people that are that are very adamant about the idea that that we should just leave the religion at home. That right. It, it should be
2: sort of a church and state thing here.
1: Yeah. yeah. Or, or, and also that like science is, is, gonna, is the thing that's going to get us that gets us into orbit. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, it's not faith. It's not, uh, belief. It's not myth, or um, or lore or any of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's solid facts. It's, it's, it's science. And right. science should be the thing that we take with us. It's the thing that propels us. And right. That, that if we bring all these, uh, these outdated ideas of, of gods and goddesses into, uh, into the cosmos with us, then we're just bringing trouble with us. Well, that it maybe
2: could hamstring our understanding. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So in, in that sense, the, the, the two shall never sort of coexist in this example. Right. Right. But that's not necessarily the case. I mean, if I'm not wrong, too, it was Carl Sagan who said that he felt like it at some point in in the future that there might even be a science based religion. Yeah, that could bridge Saganism the two. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Saganism. We all wear <laughs> turtlenecks.
0: Oh,
1: that would be great. And we have that that cool haircut. In yeah,
2: there. I would uh, do it.
1: Yeah, I think there, there's definitely a, an argument that we're. No matter where we go as Mm -hmm. a species, um, at least as far as we, you know, not not getting into ideas of like, uh, you know, human consciousness changing, but based on our our, what it currently is to be human, yeah, um, we're going to bring this worldview, or some sort of worldview, with us. Now, what pieces we use to construct it, you know, uh, that's kind of uh, up for grabs. Mm -hmm. Um, it kind of becomes like uh, you know buffet religion where. Uh, I I like to imagine people choosing only the healthiest uh, bits (laughs) from the buffet to take with them into the future and leaving the the fatty. Uh, disgusting or intolerable um items on the buffet.
2: Yeah, the stuff that gives you poopy tubes later on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that that is nice. But that's, that's this this nice is a lot of yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. and this what is, could happen. Yeah, and this, this is a lot of me talking. But we're gonna discuss other people's uh, ideas on this <laughs> yeah, besides let, me.
2: Let's talk about <laughs> okay. So we've had some space exploration. Let's talk about um you know what people have observed in space. Religion-wise, because that, that's not a big topic that comes up when you say, "Oh, okay, well, you know, there's a space mission and so on and so forth."
1: Yeah, if we were going to keep outer space religion-free, we kind of already screwed that one up, because because yeah. uh, uh, we've uh, we've actually seen some uh, interesting examples of uh, well, for start, let's we'll start off with Christianity, yeah. since uh, it was largely um, you know just by happenstance of history, um, Christian men who wound up in space before uh, most other religions. So. Um, we have, for instance, Buzz Aldrin in yes. 1969, uh, who consumed commun- communion bread and wine on the moon.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Now he didn't get to transmit the ceremony back to Earth because uh, NASA had was already in kind of deep water because they uh, let the Apollo 8 crew uh, read from the Book of Genesis for Christmas, and they transmitted that, and uh, and so there was a big lawsuit. Um, but uh, but yeah, Buzz Aldrin having communion on the moon.
2: Okay. Well, you know, you gotta get your wine in there. I get yep. it. Although I understand that's it's a deeper, uh, more symbolic thing going yeah. on than just ingesting wine. I get it.
1: Yeah, and then, uh, uh, and then uh, people have continued to, when they have faith, to bring it with them, and uh, and sometimes they'll bring uh, some rather interesting articles of faith with them. Faith with them. This was just in t- in, uh, in 2009, but cosmonaut uh, Maxim Surov reported that the Russian Federal Space Agency has a small cache of religious uh, items on the International Space Station, including a reliquary cross, which allegedly contains a piece of the original cross uh, that Jesus was crucified on. Okay. Yeah. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, this has been a common thing throughout history uh, since uh, the crucifixion uh you know took place that uh, they would have these holy relics, little mm-hmm. pieces of the cross and i've also heard it argued that if you were to take every alleged piece of the true cross and were to reassemble the true cross the true cross would be enormous it would be like the size of a supermarket or something
2: okay so they would have to go in and really like uh change the, uh, yeah, the engineering on, yeah. on the yeah well there's, on the craft. A, there's
1: a lot of fraudulent pieces so I'm not <laughs> saying that they definitely have a piece of this true you know historical um you know thing up there. right but uh, but they 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 think they do or they have a piece that claims to um, you know and have a bit of the true cross. In okay. There. So it's just kind of fascinating that they're religious, uh, relics in space, right now, even. Yeah. Um, of course, we've had, uh, the Jewish, uh, faith, uh, Judaism has gone into, to a space before in the form mm-hmm. of kosher food. Uh, it's uh, already appeared on orbital menus. And,
2: uh, which I, you know, it makes sense to me in a way because if you're a vegetarian, yeah. you probably would want vegetarian food in space right uh, not necessarily that that's associated with any sort of religion but um yeah you know I mean there are certain things that you're trying to adhere to
1: right if you have certain dietary restrictions be they health related or faith related you know the, the um, one of the the big things about space food is you want people to eat the food. That's why we've had this, there's been a lot of work that's gone into making space food edible, Mm -hmm. and not only edible but tasty, and and like tailor uh, fitting the menu to uh, individuals uh, on these different space missions. Right. So, you know, you, you want this dude to eat, you want him to be healthy, or he or she, in orbit, so yeah, if they have a certain dietary restriction, even if it's Purely uh, re- religion-based, then they're gonna they're gonna do what they can to make it work.
2: Okay, so so far I don't really see any of these things sort of interfering with the mission itself, right?
1: Right. You know, because because other things are like um, astronaut Jeff Hoffman uh took like a dreidel into space
2: mm-hmm.
1: to just you know to spin it around because that's kind of gimmicky and cool, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and and there was a there was a, an experiment where they lit the candles on a on a menorah, mm-hmm. and uh, they were like looking at how the uh, the flame be, is, is spherical. Yeah, uh, in, in, oh, and, which is yeah. just cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this is not really getting in the way of anything. Yeah. Um, now, uh, there's another whole fascinating area, and that's uh, the idea of taking, uh, Islam into space.
2: Yeah. And, and, right. In fact, it didn't, wasn't there, uh, is it in Myanmar where they had a, a big discussion about the best ways to go into space, and they produced actual, like, guide um, on, on observing, um, Muslim religion in space?
1: Yeah, well, the Malaysian National Space Agency. Okay. Um, they, yeah, they, back in 2006, the Department of Excuse Isla-
2: me, I said Myanmar. And- yeah. <laughs> yeah. The,
1: uh, the, same, same letter. Uh, the, the county's, uh, the, the country's Department of Islamic Development assembled a team of 150 Islamic scientists and scholars and they, they ended up putting together a 12 page booklet mm-hmm. on recommendations for how to conduct oneself in, in accordance with Islamic law in space. Because obviously when, when laws like this are originally laid out, no one's taking into account space missions, right? Uh, and we're talking about, uh, and specifically here, we're talking about, of course, there are dietary res- restrictions, mm-hmm. uh, just as there are in uh, in, in Judaism, um, slightly different, but but they have them. Uh, and then there's the whole uh, tradition of p- praying to in the direction of Mecca, okay? Which uh, can be a fairly complicated thing on Earth, as we discussed in the uh, the the episode uh, "Technology of the Ancients," mm-hmm. the astrolabe. Uh, is a, a rather cosmic uh, instrument that allow that that has allowed for thousands of years uh, individuals to uh, determine Find Mecca, yeah, determine yeah. exactly the location of Mecca so that they're praying in the right direction.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have to say, like a lot of this again doesn't it feels like okay, you're in a, you're on a mission and and yeah. you're an individual and so uh, as you said, you bring in a, you're going to bring your belief system with you and and your particular things. It's almost like if I went into space, I probably would have my my uh, my unicorn versus Norwal. Oh, oh, yeah. Figurines. I might bring those with me.
1: Really? But they're both pointy, and you're going to bring them and let them just float around?
2: Well, they, versus pointy. Oh,
1: okay. Well, as long as they're pointed at each other, but yeah. I, I can just imagine them flying into someone's eyes
0: <laughs> when the shuttle is.
2: Like... <laughs> I, I, you know, of course I would tether them down, but I'm just saying that, you know, we all bring some sort of oh, yeah. cage of ourselves. Yeah, wherever we go, so it's unavoidable to to bring this. But so so far, it seems like you know there are things that are not necessarily problematic,
1: right? And uh, those, uh out of those uh, recommendations made by the uh, uh, Department of Islamic uh, Development, mm-hmm. they pointed out that like if you uh, you should always attempt to pray in the direction of Mecca, right? And that if you're um you know, when possible, but that ultimately it's like if you know if you can't figure it out. It's the prayers more important than where you're you're pointed. Uh, likewise, if you are on a space mission uh, away from Earth, say you're on your way to Mars, uh, it's perfectly acceptable just to pray in the direction of Earth. Or uh, the the detail I liked uh, uh, the most uh, that is, if you can't tell which direction the Earth is in, you can just uh, your prayer can be directed quote wherever. Because if you – because I'm thinking, like, that's the time when you definitely want to get down to some serious praying when you're on that spaceship and you have no idea where Earth is in relation to the ship. Um, And then other stuff was just like – for instance, uh, they have a daily five-prayer cycle. And if you're not on Earth, then the uh, 24-hour cycle is Mm -hmm. is a little different. Right. Because – yeah, you'd just be, you, cause you end up, every time you, you revolve around the earth, you're gonna fit in five different prayers, so you'd just be praying nonstop, stop basically. Right. Um, so they just said, we'll just keep it in, in line with the passing of the hours on the planet earth.
2: Which makes sense. Yeah. Alright, so, you know, gotta, gotta get some ground rules here. Um, so, okay, it's still though a pretty big topic, right? Um, yeah. You know, religion and space, science, really. And what I noticed is that when I was at the World Science Festival and I had gone to a panel called The Future of Big Science, which featured, uh, Nobel laureate and physicist Steven Weinberg, uh, that people brought up religion after his talk about, you know, the, these big, the future of big science and what might happen. Um, <clears throat> and I was actually kind of surprised about that because he talked more about, um, you know, funding and, you know, politics and so on and so forth. Um, but he took a question from an audience member concerning religion, and, and this person said, do you think that in the U.S., because we are so focused on religion, every aspect of society, including science, and this comes up, uh, you know, again and again about whether the two can coexist, do you think that that is actually hamstringing the U.S.'s ability to compete in the field of science? And, um, Weinberg was, uh, you know, he didn't really directly answer that question. But what he did say is that in the West, uh, he says, I don't find an anti-science mentality. What I find is a confusion about what science is. Mm-hmm. And he went on to say that this just isn't a problem in most countries, particularly uh, countries like China. And um and they don't necessarily have any debates about pursuing scientific endeavors in the face of religion. In other words, their funding is not attached to any political groups mm-hmm. uh who may question the, the um the, the uh, potential of space exploration or scientific endeavors even like the large hadron collider for instance right. Um, So that's I think what Weinberg is sort of pointing to is that this is when there can be a problem with religion and science, because if you have different groups and again, you talk about religion, you're talking about like incredibly complex mosaic of religions and beliefs and thoughts and opinions and trying to fit all of that, you know, under one heading that then is directing possibly what what um, a government might be doing in terms of scientific endeavors really is <laughs> sort of like trapping you know gas in a suitcase right yeah um uh, it's it's a difficult thing to intertwine the two
1: yeah now another country where it's apparently not that big of an issue is uh, you know, the, the whole science versus religion debate yeah. is india yeah um there's a, a guy by the name of uh, veradarja v raman and i uh, actually uh, and he he uh, is a professor of physics and humanities at uh, uh, Rochester, uh, Institute of Technology. And, uh, I actually interviewed him, uh, maybe a year ago. And he's, uh, he's appeared to talking about this particular issue, I think, on, uh, speaking, speaking of faith, which mm-hmm. I think is now called Being the NPR Show.
2: Yeah, Krista yeah. Tibbet. Yeah, Krista yeah. Tibbet.
1: And, mm-hmm. uh, and he, he pointed out, he actually wrote an essay called Why in Science and Why in Religion. And, uh, in, in, in the, the difference, uh, part of the problem could be linguistic, mm-hmm. uh, because in uh in English language, we have the word why mm-hmm. and that word has to has has two different senses there's the um there's the there's the cause why like uh, why am I unhappy or to put it more simply what is the cause of my unhappiness mm-hmm. all right and uh the effect you know the effect is dependent upon prior events so which you know, is related to the cost. and then there's the why in the uh, teleological sense. Okay. Right. Uh, teleology is the as the philosophical study of design and purpose. So if you're saying why am I my why am I unhappy, and you uh, interpret that in the teleological sense,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know it's this deep question about the meaning of the universe.
2: Theological meaning God, like you're outside of yourself. So why God me? why? Yeah, that But yeah. as opposed to why did this? You know, what were the events that led to this happening
1: right okay and uh you know like say why why are there humans why why are we going into space that kind of thing yeah um but in uh, in tamil there are two different words for the each different why mm-hmm. so uh I, I just find that that fascinating <laughs> that you can say um why are there humans on uh, you know on the planet why did why are we the the most you know the evolved species on earth and you can say that with the, with just the right word to make it a completely non-religious uh, or even or even philosophical question mm-hmm. so
2: well, it is kind of interesting that at the end of the day, that um humanity really shares more similarities than dissimilarities, right? Like we all are pretty blown away by the mysteries of the world, whether or not we're looking at them through a religious or a scientific lens. Right. And we all pretty much want the best for each other and ourselves, right? So it is kind of fascinating that even though that's that's primarily the case, mm-hmm. we, we still get down to semantics and we're splitting hairs and this causes a lot of heartache and mayhem. Um But... I do think it's interesting, um, that, that Weinberg was saying that, you know, the crux of this is that it comes down to funding sometimes because you do have, uh, lobbyists that are uh, talking to senators saying, you know, don't support this or do support this. And so that's really where, where the, the, um, I guess you could say the rubber hits the pavement, right? Right. Uh, in terms of seeing these ideals play out in concrete ways. Mm-hmm. And for Weinberg, he is very concerned about the future of science in America because he sees cuts in funding because people it is a hard economy, people don't necessarily want to you know support things that are especially space Exploration uh, related. And he's not necessarily saying let's put a bunch of people up in space. In fact, I think that from what I could tell that he's, he's thinking that unmanned missions are the way to go because you can still gather data. Right. Um, but for him, it's still like, you know what? What, what? Let's figure out what this world is all about. This is fascinating stuff. We live in it. And this is the way to do it through science because we're collecting data every day that that really changes our perspective or adds to it or you know makes this sort of again this mosaic of our existence a little bit e- even more um, amazing and powerful.
1: Right. So I guess uh, one of the one of the things is when 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 science is trying to answer those questions, mm-hmm. uh, at what point do they end up asking questions that interfere with the questions that religion uh, some religions claim to answer? Right. Right. Yeah.
2: Well, and, but this is the cool thing is that we've seen, like, for, for instance, with brother, um, Guy Consolmagno, he works for the Vatican, right. essentially. Um, he's entered into the arena of, uh, planetary exploration ethics, uh-huh. right? The, the possible existence of extraterrestrial life and whether or not aliens would be with or without original sin. Right. Um, and it turns out that Brother Consumano is also very cool with terraforming other planets in an attempt to foster life there. So what I'm seeing there and what I say it's cool is because y- y- the conversation is happening. Yeah. It's not hamstringing necessarily what's going on right now from his, you know, at least from this limited perspective of Consulmano, he's actually taking some of these issues and and talking about them through a religious lens and exploring them and not shutting them down. Yeah. Um, you know, is it funny that, you know, is it kind of funny to think that, uh, he might be seeking out an alien and then just, you know, trying to, uh, baptize the alien? Yes, but that's not necessarily <laughs> what he's doing. That's just, that's really, especially what the
1: joke if, is. if water will end up melting the alien and then he ends up actually kicking off an interstellar war. That would, that would be horrible. Wow. And yeah. then yet,
2: flying monkeys will be yeah. very angry. Or, Wizard of Oz, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um,
1: it just, it just occurs to me that gremlins could never be baptized, could they? If gremlins existed. <laughs> uh, or, well, what are the things that turn into gremlins? The mogwai. Yeah. yeah. That's a whole – There, I have a number of scientific um, uh, questions about the mogwai. Uh, but uh, but we'll get we'll That's get to those for another, another time. podcast, yeah. the
2: Mogwai podcast, of yeah. course, yeah. But, uh, uh, but but let's talk about like when religion and and science actually work together in space exploration. We yes. have a couple examples.
1: Yeah, one of them uh, that I really loved uh, that I, I ran across a few months back is the uh, the story of Doctor James C Fletcher, and this guy served as NASA administrator from 1971 to 77 and 86 to 89. Mm-hmm. And this this guy was ex- extremely influential. Like basically, uh we can. We can almost lay the uh, the space shuttle program at his feet. You know, okay. he was he was very gung ho. Like, let's get let's get out there. Let's let's explore the cosmos. Let's find extraterrestrials. Let's find SETI. Yeah. Um, which is then not something uh, everyone's into these days. No. But um, <laughs> but the, but the really interesting thing is this this guy grew up and was a devout uh, member of the Church of Jesus Christ of L- Latter Day Saints, uh, the the Mormon, Mormon Church. Yeah. And um and you know he was he was a, he was a believer mm-hmm. and and where it gets interesting is that and we're not going to go into into depth about uh mormon theology or mormon cosmology but it does involve a universe full of quote worlds without number and then and these worlds are according to to their um their religion uh inhabited by intelligent beings so in other words the the religion already includes extraterrestrial life like mm-hmm. it's already factored into the design so it's it's not something where um in some of the like older, uh, you know, Christian religions, um, more traditional Christian religions, you have uh, this, you know, it's like there's no room for aliens because there's the the whole idea is like, well, God made humans. There's Earth. There's no mention of anything else. Right. And if and if you do, you're going to have to, you know, to to to, to retcon it into the uh, the the overall uh, design. But with the with the Mormon faith, it's already there. And so that was one of the driving forces. So I mean, it was
2: part of the agenda of that faith.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he wasn't I mean,
2: to, to to have this sort of exploration,
1: right? I mean, he wasn't like you know getting up there you know at NASA and making big religious speeches, but it was one of the things no. that, that personally drove him. Mm-hmm. As did the whole uh, like the, the Mormon faith is also steeped in uh, frontierism, you know. Yes. Because because you know they, the the Utah, the early founders, uh, and the early members of the church were there was a, a very you know it was a frontier mentality mm-hmm. and. There's all in space exploration. You know that's the, the the final frontier, right? Or at least the next frontier. So. Well,
2: and then we, I mean, Manifest Destiny too has always yeah. been part of that, right? Yeah. Which is for another time, but
1: but yeah, and he also he also. It's interesting is that at the time, like uh, before the 1950s, um, people uh like in in the Mormon Church, uh, some of the, the the higher ups, they were very much against the idea of space exploration. They were yeah. like like God's not going to let you go too far. He's going to put limits on that. He's going to shut that down. So don't even, don't even mess with it. And he was like, he was one of the, of of several, you know, or, or numerous, uh, you know, intellectuals within the, the church who were like, no, that's, that's complete hogwash. Mm -hmm. You know, don't, don't let, don't let this stand in the way of our science. And in fact, it should be the other way around. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I, I found that to be an, an an inspirational story of, of religion actually driving science. Yeah. Yeah. I thought
2: that was pretty cool too. I saw your blog post on it and I had no idea about that. So, um, it's a really good example of that. And then again to bring up the astrolabe, uh, this is again, this is um primarily a an invention of um, of the Muslim community from I can't remember now, but it had it's been in existence for Oh
1: like the since the fifth the century BC, I want to yeah, say yes, yeah. yes.
2: And um and, and what was so cool about this instrument is that it was improved upon and improved upon for hundreds and hundreds of years by uh, Muslim cosmologists who wanted to know, again, um, you know, where Mecca is and try to celebrate the important holidays and try to line up the sky with, with their worldview and their beliefs. And what this did is it helped to usher in an age of discovery later on for us. Mm-hmm. And when I say age of discovery, we're talking about sailing ships and, uh, you know, discovering other countries which you know, of course there are parallels um, with that in space right right um, of course you don't see in, in in Muslim countries now you don't see a lot of um, funding into space exploration or a lot of the sciences today but um, you know back in the day mathematics and, and sciences this was very much the field of um, of the Muslim religion which right. you know again furthered our understanding today of what we know about the physical world which is really cool. So the question is can the two exist, coexist? Will it happen? Will the discovery of say extraterrestrial microbes change the face of religion or will you know people hold steady in their beliefs?
1: Actually, I've got a thought on that, which I'm going to get to right after this quick break. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. Okay, so here's the thought that I have on uh, on how uh, extraterrestrial uh, life could shake uh, religious belief. I tend to find that there's you know it's like you you reach a point and you and you adopt some sort of worldview, be it like super religious or just sort of quasi religious or you know or just sort of the medium or none. Yeah, or medium or none. You you still end up taking this on this worldview, and Mm -hmm. inevitably, like part of the human experience is that something's going to come along to shake that. Mm -hmm. So. I feel like if say if you believe in a god like in, like a, a god that's like say personally involved in your life and then like somebody close to you dies or something or you turn on the TV and you see something horrible happening like if that doesn't destroy your faith then I don't know that how aliens really could I mean that's that's just my sort of take on it I feel like yeah yeah
2: that but and, but that's your one and that's just the thing about religion too it's like even though there are certain doctrines that people follow mm-hmm. it, you still have um. People still interpret it, you know, in, on an individual basis.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's called a. It's a worldview. It's a personal worldview. It's this. Yeah. It's this bubble that each of us, even if you 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 know buy it off the shelf at the supermarket well, along with everybody right. else, you're still. Cra- it's still individual to you. It's. It's like a. To go back to Dune, it's like that shield uh, that they, <laughs> the energy shield they have around <laughs> themselves, and uh, you know deflects uh, laser blast.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and you're still funneling, you're funneling it through your experience. So that's, yeah. that's whatever's going to come out on the other end is what it's going to come out. What I thought was interesting is, um, that this is from a Time Magazine article from 1961 and it is titled Religion, Space, and Scripture. It says, Christianity has existed through the centuries on the assumption that man is the pinnacle of God's creation. What happens, asks Presbyterian theology professor W. Burnett, East Engineer, if it turns out that man is the pinnacle of only one of God's many worlds? Mm-hmm. So yes, I understand what you're saying, but but then there's this 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 sticky like, part of it. Like
1: what if NASA calls a press conference and they're like, guys, we've got we've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is we've discovered extraterrestrial life. The bad news is they're way hotter than us. It's just it's just like they're just so much more handsome and 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 their their females are just so much more beautiful. It's like we just feel like crap now.
2: Wow. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, who knows how, how if if uh this discovery comes upon us and how we we'll react to it. But I thought this was interesting. This was from space.com uh, in an article, could extraterrestrial intelligence sway religious uh, beliefs? And they said to see what affects the discovery of extra, uh, let's just call it ETI, intelligence might have on religion, theologian Ted Peters and his colleagues surveyed more than 1,300 individuals worldwide from multiple religious traditions, including Catholicism, uh, pr- uh evangelical Protestants, mainline Protestants, Orthodox Christians, Mormons, Jews, Buddhists, and other non-religious groups. They found the vast majority of religious believers, regardless of religion, were overwhelmingly confident that they wouldn't suffer a collapse in faith in the face of evidence of extraterrestrial intelligence. Mm -hmm. In addition, roughly one-third of religious people thought that the faith of other religions would be threatened, while two-thirds of non-religious people thought that aliens would sway the faith of the religious as a whole. So Completely. Huh. Actually, what you're kind of saying there, yeah, like your belief is your belief.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like this little fortress that we build up against the realities of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just religion, but all like we're all any kind of belief system we take on ourselves, any kind of worldview, even if it's totally non-religious. Like this is our vision of reality. And it stands as a fortress against actual reality, right. and we have to choose when to reinforce it and when to just let the uh, the army come in. I guess.
2: Yeah. yeah, and I still have this question, like, okay, you've got the Large Hadron Collider. Let's say that you have a completely like behemoth version of it in fifty to hundred years, and uh, would they're able to, you know, with with this new like souped up Large Hadron Collider, they're they're basically able to bear out the string theory and, and even the existence of multiple universes. And even to the point in saying, okay, every action or inaction um is actually creating new actions in other universes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so even that I think may not, that discovery may not change people's belief systems because, and the reason I think that's interesting is because uh, you know, what would that mean to religion which is you know, sort of a codified system of more predicated on an afterlife that's determined by the deeds done in one single universe. Right. You know, what is that? That definitely skews your perception of, of, uh, what we're doing here on earth now.
1: Yeah. Well, like to, to take uh, one of the more I, I find like, I think this would be one of the things that I would not pick up from the buffet if I were building, you know, my own yeah, plate yeah. Of, of theology, uh, like say, take the doctrine of hell, right? The idea that you, you, in the early version of it, you can say, Oh, well, there's a, fiery place in the center of the earth where there are devils poking people with sticks Mm -hmm. and then you can sort of you can sort of explain it away a little more and say oh well it's more like another planet or maybe it's more like another dimension you Mm -hmm. know so even in the advent of scientific uh, um, new scientific data Mm -hmm. about the reality of the universe we can sort of tweak different belief systems to make sense in the new universe you know
2: well and you know i'm always uh
1: even when that when the thing you're tweaking is kind of uh, you know, in my opinion, kind of horrible.
2: I'm always bringing up cognitive dissonance, right? Mm-hmm. And this is one of those instances where that could certainly incite that, right? Like, if you've got this one piece of information that you believe and this other piece of information that's at odds at it, somehow yeah. you're probably going to make it square. Yeah. <laughs> even if it's not square. Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: Uh, this is an interesting bit. Just talking about, like, our, our need to bring religion with us and mm-hmm. need to bring worldviews with us. There was a, there's a great, um, Philosopher, historian, uh, professor, I think it was the University of Chicago by the name of Mercedes Iliadi, mm-hmm. um, author of, uh, The Myth of the Eternal Return and all this. He very big into, like, how crafting of world views and how they affect, uh, everything. Um, well, he, he wrote about this one particular Australian Aboriginal myth and it concerned, um, this tribe that would, that had this pole, mm-hmm. right? This sacred pole and they would, they would, they would wander around all over the place. They had, they were, they were nomadic. So but so they were never in one place for long but they would always have this pole with them. Mm-hmm. And uh and the, these are the words of uh of uh, of Mercedes Iliade. Um, he says that this pole represented a cosmic axis for it is around the sacred pole that territory becomes habitable hence becomes transformed into a world. The sacred pole uh plays an important role ritually. Uh, during their wanderings, they always carry it with them and choose the direction they are to take by the direction towards which it bends. Uh, and he goes on from there. But then he adds, for the pole to be broken denotes catastrophe. It is like the, quote, end of the world, unquote, a reversion to chaos. So uh, I find that uh, basically they just, if the, if the pole breaks, they, they, they lay down on the ground and wait for death.
2: Well, which is interesting because it all goes back to the whole thought that we we as humans need a center. Yeah. And for some people, that's God. But, you know, a system that holds it all together. Cause, mm-hmm. you know, think of the word decentering, right? You're off kilter. And a lot of people don't like to live that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so it, for, 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 for many, it's says, you know, whatever belief system provides solace and balance and comfort. Um, that makes sense. But I like, I love this poll example.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the, the idea. Cause it's both, uh, Encouraging, but also kind of dark, because it's the idea. Yeah, we're going to bring our our pole with us, and we're it's going to it's it's going to keep us sane wherever we go in the cosmos. But then, on the other hand, if the pole breaks, we're boned. So
2: yeah, but the thing here's the thing: the pole always breaks at some point because there's entropy. Yeah, the pole yeah. breaks in our personal lives all the time, right?
1: Yeah, well, when the but pole... then the pole's fine. Yeah, or when the pole breaks, you just got two poles now. You know, Schism, <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> nice, I like that. Um. I did want to mention that just as a sort of recap about the World Science Festival and this talk that Steven Weinberg gave, it was just kind of funny. There's a YouTube uh, YouTube clip of this. And uh, after Weinberg's talk, someone cornered Neil uh, DeGrasse Tyson, who was in the audience. And, he asked Tyson if maybe Tyson would be open, from as far as I can tell, to suggesting to a senator that we should fund science exploration and the Large Hadron Collider and so on and so forth, and the attempt um, to to get more funding and say that Jesus could exist on an alternate universe, hmm. that perhaps Neil deGrasse Tyson should further this this agenda, <laughs> and again, and you know, of course, this was this was a question that was posed in jest, and um and Tyson was sort of horrified, but he was a perfect gentleman um, and just sort of said no and walked away. But, um, but again, there's that you know that person was suggesting that because he was saying you know like, if we can fit this sort of worldview in here, then perhaps we could get the funding and we could do more exploration. Huh. Uh, so funny clip if you look it up. I will have to look that one up. Yeah.
1: Well, hey, you know, uh, I have one little bit of uh, listener mail here. Let me get to it real quick.
2: See the little pattern. bit. There.
1: And. Uh, in this, uh, actually, these two are uh, our uh, listener mails from our Facebook page, which is "Blow the Mind," the same as our Twitter page, "Blow the Mind," and uh, they write. Uh, First, Malachi writes, "No discussion on neo-evolution because we just had a podcast yes. about. Uh, are you ready for the neo-evolution?" is complete without mention of Gattaca. For a movie from 97, it is extremely prophetic, a society in which everyone um, that is important has a history of genetic tailoring, the love child, or accidental pregnancy is viewed as, as a liability to employers. Um, uh, there's, and it goes on, there's a lot of stuff in there. Uh,
2: no, I can't believe we didn't bring up Batica. Yeah.
1: yeah, cause, uh, yeah, I remember seeing it. I remember it being a fun film.
2: Yeah, I remember being like, this is a very interesting proposition. Because, the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the main character is flawed, right? And, yeah. and yet is chosen, uh, for exploration, uh, even, even, even though he's not perfect. Right. So it which sort of um, challenges our ideas of trying to tinker with our DNA to the extent that we reached some sort of perfection or yeah. state of perfection.
1: Yeah. And it's a great, yeah, you can do it kind of movie, you know? Like, yeah, it like, is. Like, yeah. you're
2: imperfect. You go for it.
1: Yeah. And there's some famous Attaboy. writer in that, isn't there? Is, is,
2: is there a famous writer in there?
1: Yeah. Like, not Noam Chomsky's not in it. Somebody. I don't recall. Well, somebody is in it. But, uh, I
2: recall Uma in her cheekbones, but, yeah. um, you know.
1: Uh, but anyway, uh, then Malachi adds, I love sci-fi because it prepares us for what may happen, and the ideas expressed in this 15-year-old movie may very well be a reality soon. So, yeah. yeah. And then um, Rick writes in and says, uh, responding to our uh, our podcast on the future of toilets, writes, "Uh." For some sociologists the best measure of a culture civilization is the distance it can maintain from its own excrement. For some ecologists the best measure of a culture civilization is the degree to which it can recycle its own excrement, and for some individuals the best measure of a culture civilization is the excrements availability uh, to be put to further use. So, uh and I believe he uh he's quoting something here. Um yeah, uh I think he's quoting a book here. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, that's, that's actually a fascinating yeah, way of it, looking at
2: it. It's true. We have um, for a long time been trying to put a distance between ourselves and our experiment. And I was actually th- even thinking about this book I have about the history of shoes. Mm-hmm. And you, you can see these great shoes that were in existence. I think some of them were even like maybe 10th, 11th century uh-huh. that are essentially like huge platforms. Which would make sense. Like, you want, if you're going through the streets and the streets are literally paved uh-huh. with excrement, <laughs> oh. if you could elevate yourself from that, uh, you know, perhaps not get your, your clothing in the muck, even better. So, so, like,
1: high heels are basically saying, my neighborhood is nasty because I have to just wade through it. Or I'm above it. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah. um, well, hey, you know, it's like, uh, like I say, Facebook, Twitter, blow the mind on both of those. I'd love to hear uh, anybody's thoughts about. The, the future of religion, where it's going, where it should go. Uh, an, another area that we didn't even get into is if you had to design a religion to work in space, what would it be? Because on one hand, I like to think of the whole like David Eagleman possibility and yeah. kind of thing where the it's like. The
2: yeah, possibility interesting,
1: like keeping your mind open to all these new ideas. And then I love the idea of a theological buffet where you pick and choose the things that are beneficial. Uh, to, to yourself uh, which I think we all do to a limited extent anyway uh, but then I was talking to um, uh, this guy I know who uh, I th- yeah he actually uh, yeah he, he, he works on uh, the EVE games the EVE Online games uh, but he, his argument was, well, if you were designing a religion for space, there's not a lot of room for error in space travel. Mm-hmm. So you would want to have a really strict, dogmatic religion to make sure everybody's doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing on these different space flights.
2: Well, but, that would become the religion, right? Yeah. At noon, we, we gather some data. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we do it in turtlenecks. With yeah, Carl exactly. Sagan
1: Saganism once again.
2: I wonder if we can kind of promote that throughout the office and see if it just takes like handout pamphlets takes off. Yeah.
1: Oh, uh, we should do like chick, uh, like a chick uh, pamphlet about it.
2: All right. Well, yeah. Let us let us know if you're willing to wear turtlenecks in the name of science, uh, and just go ahead and drop us a line at Blow at HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from
0: the Future. Join House to work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.